Hey everybody, thanks for listening. I'm Joe from the American Cancer Society here with two friendly scientists. I wonder if y'all could introduce yourself uh, real quick. Dr. Lee, do you want to go first? Yeah, um, my name is Ran Lee and I'm a, a postdoc fellow and instructor at Massachusetts General Hospital and Harvard Medical School. And Dr. Heller. I'm Dan Heller. I am a associate member at Sloan Kettering Institute of Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. Right on. Well, let's get into it. We, we asked y'all to hop on today because you had some very interesting publications to talk about. So, Dr. Lee, why don't we start with you? What did you, I've got the title right here, it's really long. <laughs> Deep breath. Therapeutically reprogrammed nutrient signaling enhances nanoparticulate, how do you say this? Albumin? Albumin. Yep. There we go. Uh, albumin-bound drug uptake and efficacy in KRAS mutant cancer. So take it away. What what are the big findings here? Yeah, thank you. Um, so my paper really focused on um, basically understanding the drug delivery of pharmacokinetics of a class of a chemotherapeutic agent that bound to albumin. So to provide some background, uh, we should first start out by saying that the preferential delivery of cytotoxic drug uh, into the tumor is a major hurdle to successful cancer treatment. And in recent years, uh, albumin formulation of chemotherapies has been developed to improve the circulation of these drugs inside the body. Uh, these albumin-bound drugs are composed of uh, cytotoxic payload bound to albumin carriers, and some of these drugs have met clinical success in treating specifically pancreatic and lung tumors. However, not all patients respond to albumin-bound drugs, and their delivery efficiency to tumors has been mixed. Only to the incomplete understanding of how albumin-bound drugs work in vivo. So the research described in my paper was done to answer two simple questions. First, where exactly do the albumin-bound drug go after their injection into the body? And second, what mechanism controls the delivery of these drugs? So to answer these two questions, uh, what uh, I and my team uh, used was a 3D microscopy and tissue clearing technique to quantify the delivery of albumin-bound drugs at a single cell level in engineered mouse tumor models. Uh, what we found is that the cancer cell can actually take, do take up a significant amount of albumin-bound drug, and the uptake of this drug is controlled by a signaling pathway used by cancer cell to regulate their nutrient consumption. So specifically, these two signaling pathways, uh, MAP kinase pathway and AMPK pathway. Uh, we further discovered that these uh, signaling pathways can be manipulated to trick cancer cells into a starved state, thus enhancing their appetite for albumin-bound cytotoxic payloads. So based on this discovery, we were able to formulate a strategy to improve the tumor accumulation and in vivo efficacy of albumin-bound drug by therapeutically reprogramming the nutrient signaling inside the tumor cells. Pretty good. So Dr. Heller, um, any, any questions that spring to mind or kind of... Uh reactions to what you read or, or heard? Yeah, so actually I'm a, a big fan of this paper and I had my lab do a journal club on this. So now my whole lab uh, uh, went through this paper and really uh, we're excited by it uh, for many reasons. Certainly if it's interesting to, to us because we focus on nanoparticle drug delivery and we're really interested in the mechanisms by which nanoparticles get across barriers to entry into cell, into tumors. And, and this paper definitely caught our eye because we were, you know, because this is, this really uh, helps us think about why a nanoparticle would, or why a drug could get into a, uh, into a tumor and how to get it in there more than uh, in the tumor than in a, 
than in all the other tissues of the body, because that's really the, the goal of, of uh, nanoparticle drug delivery is how do you get, or, or drug delivery in general in, in, in cancer, is how do you get a drug to see the tumor and avoid uh, healthy tissues? And especially when we're thinking about, you know, uh, uh, metastatic cancers where um, when you give chemotherapeutic drugs, these drugs get to all the tissues of the body and very few of these drugs can be get can get to the tumors with any sort of specificity or really act very well on the tumors with any specificity, especially in metastatic cancer, so that we see um, so that you don't have to give levels that cause a lot of side effects. And so this is exciting because it points to a direction by which a uh, drug can get preferentially taken up by the cancer cells. We think about two things. One is the is the a targeted drug, the way that the, that the drug development people think about targeting, which is, you know, your drug has some special activity in, in a tumor cell, which Paclitaxel does in this case. But then we think about, well, can you target a drug to a tumor and get it preferentially there? And so, um, so and this really takes advantage of the, both of those aspects that Paclitaxel has, you know, is, is, a, is, a, is a great class of drugs. It has activity in, in tumors. And you can uh, that that has some specificity, and you could figure out kind of what what tumor cells will have more activity. But also, you could you have a delivery uh, handle of getting these drugs specifically into these tumors. And I believe you you looked at kind of the mechanisms of uptake of these particles and uh, into uh, into cells. And I think from what I remember, it, like this is kind of a macropenocytosis uptake mechanism. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't mention that in the snippet, but um, yes, uh, so basically what we found that what's a cellular process that's controlling this um, is macropenocytosis. And macropenocytosis, which is in turn is controlled by uh, MAP kinase pathway and the AMPK pathway, uh, both of these uh, has a component for uh, nutrient uptake. So basically tumor cells usually use macropenocytosis to take up uh, nutrients uh, such as albumin. And by tricking the tumor cell to thinking that they are being starved, uh, they can do more macrophenocytosis, thereby taking more um, uh, albumin-bound drug, uh, albumin-bound paclitaxel in this case. Yeah. Um, so macrophenocytosis is kind of sometimes called uh, the cell drinking, like cells are drinking from the environment. They're taking up stuff all the time and they're and they're not engulfing things like an amoeba, that's a different process, but they're kind of, you know, taking little sips of the of this environment around the cell. And that brings in proteins and various things into the cell. And so there's this one, this is one kind of mechanism that all cells or many, most cells do this, just kind of drink from the environment, take stuff up and that and get nutrients uh, that way. But um, the, 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 the thing about KRAS uh, mutant cells is that they do this more. They're just like really ravenously thirsty uh, cells. And uh, what what Rand did is is he took advantage of that fact to then um, find a and, and then he found a nanoparticle that kind of goes in by this mechanism of you know being drunken up by the cells and um, and found the kind of the the, the right set of tumors that wanna want to drink from their environment more and will will drink up um, uh, these particles. And most drugs, you know, small molecule drugs, tumor cancer drugs, don't get into cells by this mechanism. They just kind of diffuse in and some cells pump them out and that leads to resistance. But in this case, 
um, this particle is taken up by this mechanism of kind of drinking and these types of tumors like to drink more. So to me, it's like the perfect match. Yeah, exactly. Because of the albumin um, bond drug. So because of that, you have an albumin carrier. So that's why uh, macropinocytosis is involved in the uptake, um, a drug uptake of uh, this class of drugs. Um, and so what, what do you think the next step is for, I mean, the nice thing is you're also using a drug that is, that's an FDA approved drug. I don't usually see it called NAB paclitaxel anymore, but uh, which stands for, I think, nanoparticle albumin paclitaxel. Oh, paclitaxel because exactly. I think a lot of, they don't want to advertise the nanoparticle part because that sounds scary. Because <laughs> once, once some of these Michael Crichton books came out about how scary nanoparticles, <laughs> nanotechnologies are, and they're going to, you know, nanorobots take over the world, um, you know, then uh, then they started removing the nano part of that. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad you took it in because <laughs> nano is really not scary. Um, now, uh, you know, because as uh, you know, because uh, the, the robots can only really can only be micron size they have to, be, <laughs> to be to be really scary. And those are, you know, uh, but but nanoparticles, they're pretty, you know, hey, the covid the covid shot is nanoparticles. And exactly. Okay, so exactly. Let's downgrade the scariness of nanoparticles. <laughs> totally. But, <laughs> but um, you know, if the current, if you know much about the clinical state of this drug, which is uh, on the market and a very, you know, a, a drug that's in use, uh, quite, quite, a, quite abundant use. And I just wondered, is this, do you think this can change how people use this drug and prescribe this drug? Are there people that have really looked at this in the, in the clinical side? Because I think most of what you did was focused on the cell animal side. Bench side, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, that's a really good question. Um, so uh, basically this drug, uh, before we started research on this, um, it was we were already approved uh, for really late stage pancreatic and lung tumor. Uh, and I think it's in some clinical trial for uh, late stage breast, breast cancer. Uh, you, although it has some success, um, uh, like I was saying, uh, in the clinic, what people see is that the, the efficacy is uh, variable uh, depending on different uh, kind of like different patients. Um, also, um, it's only uh, approved for really specific indication so far. Um, so the idea uh, for what this paper could contribute to a clinic is that um, uh, by knowing these pathways, uh, you could potentially uh, screen patients uh, based on uh, if they have, um, uh, if their tumor has upregulated a certain type of KRAS mutations, uh, any MAP kinase signaling pathway mutation, or any pathway mutation that might have controlled the macropenocytosis process. Then you stratify patient based on uh, if they can um, have more of these mutations, so they can potentially take in drug more, um, and basically uh, you personalize the pharmacokinetics uh, of this drug, and um, you can uh, predict if a patient will respond, respond better um, to uh, these drugs. And uh, our lab already have some um, work, um, some uh, have taken some step uh, in research in, into that directions. Oh, that's great. So, so Dan, a couple of years ago, you had a paper in Nature Materials that you shared some findings that, let me just quote you directly, enables the computational design of nanomedicines based on quantitative models for drug payload selection. And then earlier this year, you had a review, pretty nice title, Targeted Drug Delivery Strategies for Precision Medicine. So thinking about this, how does this paper from RAND, do you think, fit in? And I guess maybe you could talk about this in the context of some of your some of the, the thoughts you shared in that review. 
it totally fits. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, and especially in the, with the review, well, in both, but definitely with the review. So what I thought about with the review is the idea that, well, now we have kind of another layer, you know, besides just the, the, the small molecule drug, if you're thinking about small molecules, there's, we can think about other drugs too, but if, you know, things like paclitaxel, they have a certain set of properties. And then if you think about, say, if you were to package this, this drug into a particle, like with, with, in Rand's paper with, um, uh, the, with the, the drug Abraxane that's, that uh, he was using, now you have a whole different set of properties that you've conferred to this drug. You've pretty much separated out the properties of the drug action, what, hap what happens with that molecule when it gets into a cell and sticks to a protein and, uh, and starts causing you know, cancer cells to, uh, to die and, 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 and in this, this, this molecular pathway, um, you, we've separated that from what does a drug do when after you inject it in the body, where does it go? How many does it get? Much does it get to this place versus that place? Usually the pharma, pharmacologists call this pharmacokinetics, um, but it's also biodistribution, where does the, which is part of that, where does the drug show up and, and, and end up? Is it more here or more there? Is it more in the tumor or more in healthy tissue? So all of that stuff can kind of be separated from, you know, what does this drug do on the molecular level once it gets into a cell? Um, and so we've thought about, um, it's great to think about those two things separately when you're thinking about, you know, making a, a drug delivery and nanoparticle drugs, because you can really separate them. You can take all of, uh, you know, and when, when a doctor prescribes a drug or when a, when a, even, even before that, when people are developing a drug and figuring out whether this drug is good or bad, um, they're kind of combining all those things into one. Oh, this is a bad drug. This is a good drug. This is toxic. This is not toxic. Well, it all depends on, it depends on many things, but if that drug would have killed every tumor cell if it just got into the tumor cells, but it just is really toxic to healthy cells. Well, that's not a good thing. Can we change that and separate out where that drug goes and see if we can, you know, prevent it at least from getting to those healthy cells where it's going to cause the real toxic effects or, you know, or certainly get it more and, you know, shift that distribution. So we think about all of that here. And, um, and we've also in, in, in the review that we wrote, we were thinking about what are the other aspects you need to know about these things, uh, about nanoparticles when you, when you put them into people. Uh, and one big thing that we thought about is, um, is where, you know, how to get these particles across barriers in, uh, out of the, you know, because a, a particle makes a drug bigger. And now that drug is, you inject it, it's circulating in the body and that drug can't get to every cell as easily, which is actually a great thing. It can't get to all the cells in the body nearly as easily as a small molecule that was inside of the particle. And you kind of keep it in the blood longer maybe. Um, but now how do you get that specifically into a tumor cell? Um, and the first thing the drug comes in contact with is blood vessels. And so how do you get that across blood vessels? And so we were one of the uh, sets of work that uh, we've been following is someone who's been um, taking particles and radio labeling them and looking at in a human tumor, where do those particles show up and can they, they get into the tumor itself or is it going to get kind of get, get out, get prevented from getting into the, into the tumor because it's kind of still circulating with um, blood vessels. 
with with NatPak with Taxol, I think it's it's a smaller particle and it it all kind of sticks to albumin, so it might not have that kind of issue in this case because once it once you're in with single protein molecules, it's pretty small. But when you're thinking about you know if the particle stays intact in a whole particle, now where can that thing get out of the blood and into a tumor cell? And so the first barrier is blood vessels. When we think about think about that a lot. And so we kind of trying to to design clinical trials. How are you going to, if you have a nano drug, how do you design a clinical trial that you have to think about, oh, what does that drug do on a molecular level? But also, how do we figure out in which patients these drugs are going to work best in? Are they going to get out of the blood vessel and into a tumor? So much to digest there. And Dr. Lee, I don't want to be prescriptive. I could just say, what do you think? <laughs> uh, I'll start there and then I can ask a follow-up question for you, Dr. Lee. Yeah, if you want. yeah sure. Um, I'll just First, want to say is uh, Dan, this, these are really nice work. I really enjoy the computational approach that you and your team used to predict the nanoparticle tropism uh, in your 2018 paper. And then the review paper is a really useful tool for people to understand the role that drug delivery material and strategy can play in improving personalized medicine. So um, I think um, with you know the field going into uh, personalized uh, medicine, precision medicine more. Uh, for, especially for cancer treatment, um, what we have to realize is that cancer is a really complex disease and it requires complex solutions. And so this will um, involve a lot of different um, things that uh, the new technology enable us. So for example, identifying biomarkers through sequencing uh, to see if this cancer will respond to a certain type of drug. Um, and like what Dan was saying, uh, designing or, or showing his paper, designing different um, nanoparticle with different tropisms so you can deliver them to the right place, uh, let them cross the right barrier, uh, for example, tumor blood vessels in this case, um, uh, as well as um, using, you know, either companion imaging uh, to uh, kind of stratify patient based on if you think that uh, these patients might have a, a better, uh, uh, the, the drug will show a better PK in certain type of, uh, of pharmacokinetics in certain type of patient. Um, so, it, and, you know, modeling, um, computational modeling, uh, imaging analysis, and uh, kind of new technology like these uh, could definitely play a really important uh, role in um, uh, improving the personalized medicine uh, aspect. Um, so, yeah, um, I think, uh, like I was saying, complex problem uh, require complex uh, multidisciplinary solutions. And um, I'm really glad that uh, people uh, in, in the fields are thinking about uh, these kind of complex uh, solutions. So, Dr. Harry, if I can ask you, what do you think a major hurdle is in in bringing these novel drug delivery materials and technology into the clinics? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think you hit the nail on the head with some of the um, barriers to doing that. Um, I think one of the main issues has been that in the that traditionally a lot of the nanoparticle um, nanomaterials type research has happened in kind of engineering departments, chemistry departments. And just getting um, the people who make new materials and new uh, uh, therapies like this, they're happening often in these kind of more more engineering places and not as much in uh, in collaboration with biologists, clinicians, people who uh, think about the things that, that you've been thinking about. And so um, one has been just getting people together and collaborating. And I got very lucky. I um, I, I'm a biomedical engineer in chemistry background, and when I looked at faculty positions to, to start my lab, I ended up at Sloan Kettering, which is great. 
Um, I never thought I'd be here in a million years. <laughs> I thought I'd be in an engineering school. Um, and it was just not within my whole, you know, set of experience that I could go and do um, nanoparticle drug delivery um, in a in a in a cancer center where I'd have these kind of collaborators, and that's really definitely driven my work forward in in ways that it would have never uh, been. And so part of it has been that issue. Um, and then one one other big issue is the taking the risk is at the stage of you know okay someone's designed a nanoparticle a drug delivery mechanism a a, a a device that you know looks promising how do you how do you find ways to get that to the next stage where you really can even do the testing to get it into a uh, into a, a clinical trial and that requires a lot of resources just a lot of money a lot of that's um, you know, and a lot of them just never make it there. And even that someone shows something great in a mouse, uh, how do you get it uh, uh, to that next stage? Because if it's a small molecule drug or, a, or an antibody, I think you know, pharmaceutical companies have been, you know, understand how to deal with those. But if you're talking about a, a nanoparticle, um, well, that looks really different and you have to figure out the engineering of that and the, the, the quality assurance and everything very differently. Uh, and so I'm actually hopeful now that because of actually, in, with, because of the COVID vaccines, two of them ended up being nanoparticle drugs, um, that that might have opened the door to more more thought that that these are these could be cancer therapies too. That nanoparticles of different kinds could um, uh, are, are worth trying, and and the engineering side of things costs aren't aren't so high. The barriers lower now. Yeah. Yeah, that's very good. And what do you think scientifically in terms of um, these kind of nanomaterials uh, or, or new material? What, what scientific improvement do these um, material need to make in order to more, um, you know, in, in order to help personalize medicine or precision medicine more? I think um, one of the certainly, if, if, if you were thinking since since we mentioned I mentioned COVID vaccines, I'm thinking about you know what's inside of them is RNA. Um, there's a lot of great things you can do with RNA to turn off parts of, of cells, mechanisms of cells, mechanisms of cancer, or, or make or turn on things like tumor suppressor genes. And um, getting those into a tumor is difficult still. Right now, um, the COVID vaccines, where you know you inject them into the muscle and they can produce things there. But the question is, how? What kind of strategy can you uh, use to? To make these kind of uh, technologies where you either can target them uh, to a tumor uh, better and get into the tumor and get enough of the payload of that drug into the tumor, that particle into the tumor, um, and figure out which patients uh, would be most susceptible to that or which tumors are best to treat that way. Um, and, uh, and so that's kind of a, one of the big questions is, you know, even if you can show this working in a mouse, you, you know, get this particle into a tumor in a mouse. Um, how, which patients are going to benefit from these deliver, you know, just the ability of a particle to get across the blood vessels or into a leaky blood, a, a tumor that might have leaky blood vessels and get into that tumor. And how are you going to find out? Could there be, uh, how, how can you find out if, if there's some sort of marker maybe that, um, uh, will, that you can, um, uh, that will tell you whether a particle is more likely to get there. It's a very different than these, you know, in, in precision medicine, now traditional precision medicine, you sequence a, a patient's tumor, you figure out, oh, there's a certain genetic susceptibility that this drug might work in this tumor. Well, now 
uh, well, that's great. Uh, and those drugs have been working well, but still not well enough oftentimes to get a, uh, get over hurdles of, of toxicities and, and you can't give enough of that drug to get into the tumor. So now if you make that drug a nano drug, now you need more markers to figure out, well, whether that drug is really going to get into that patient's tumor because it's leaky enough or there's a mechanism like the one that uh, that that uh, you took advantage of to get a drug uh, preferentially into that tumor site. Yeah, um, I think like um, just build on what you, you were saying, uh, I really like the computational approach that uh, your team used uh, for prediction of uh, the tropism of, of the na uh, nanoparticles. Uh, I think, you know, if, as we understand how nanoparticles uh, get uptake in, into tumor or in different organs, uh, depending on what, you know, what kind of nanoparticle they are, uh, we get more of these basic research going. So we have more of this information that we can build this uh, predictive model. Uh, I think that, that would be really useful for the field to move forward um, since you will uh, before you give the drug to, pay, to the patient, you have already have some predictive ability to think, oh, if this drug is toxic, um, how long they, they get to circulate inside the tumor, uh, in, inside the body, um, uh, and, and uh, different aspects like that. Um, uh, and um, like you were saying, uh, because we, we're talking about pharmacokinetics here, we have to think about uh, kind of the toxicology aspect of, of the drug. And uh, I think... Um, knowing not only the biomarker on the tumor that help you select a drug, but also uh, the biomarker on the normal tissue, uh, a lot of clearance organs such as liver or kidney, um, and basically using those biomarkers to predict if the nanoparticle will accumulate there as well, will, will also be important in, in terms of uh, understanding what the therapeutic window is uh, for any new drug that you want to use. Yeah, I'm hoping uh, that, um, that at the time when we wrote, wrote, rewrote that paper, machine learning was just coming into into focus as like an exciting thing. And I really realized like at, at the time when it was about to get published, we realized, wait, this was kind of machine learning. We should have, we should, or AI, we should have put that in the paper, you know, um, because that's what people, that, that, that's, that's, that's been a really big growing thing. But, um, but yeah, we, we really are excited now about the, about how machine learning is Kind of infiltrating into these spaces of, uh, and can we use computational models, machine learning, uh, AI to predict uh, things about uh, things like where where a drug is going to go or where a particle is going to go, um, uh, and and can we use some of these really uh, impressive um, computational tools to to really uh, benefit uh, these areas. And so uh, what we did in, in our paper was first just figure out can we make a nanoparticle out of a drug based on what the structure of that drug is, the molecular structure. But then um, I think a lot of people in the, in the nanoparticle field are thinking, well, can we predict other things, like where the drug is going to go and well, will it be beneficial? So I think there's many, there's so much room in, in this field and, well, of course, many fields in cancer to, to incorporate uh, machine learning and, and computation to try to find you know, new ways to predict uh, predict things that maybe you would have to do a thousand experiments and you can whittle that down quite a bit um, or and, and figure out whether something's going to work in a patient. Yeah, and also um, using your information that you obtain in the mice study or preclinical study and translate it to that uh, human uh, clinical trial, um, I think the computational model and predictive uh, pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics model could be really helpful in that. Um, doing scaling up and trying to find the right dose uh, to dose your patients.
the field is is with you. Right. <laughs> they're, they're trying. This is great. I mean, so this has been really fun. I think we now we got a part two in view. Like, can we use AI to predict nanoparticle delivery? Maybe one of these days we'll catch up with you again. But listen, both of y'all, thanks for your time. Thanks for all you're doing. And um, good luck to you going forward. Let us know if we can ever help you out with anything, okay? Yeah, thank you thanks so much. Bye.